Tonight you're here at church, right? I want you to imagine just for a moment that it's Friday night, which you don't have to imagine that it is. It was Friday night, and instead of church, you decided that you were going to go to the movies. You were going to go see a movie. And so you get to the movie, and you get inside. And I don't know where you like to sit in a movie. We like to sit about two-thirds or three-fourths of the way back, right in the middle, where, you know, it's just real good for us. Whatever your seat of choice is, if you like to sit on the front row, then you've got a front row seat. You are sitting absolutely, there it is, it's alive now. You're sitting wherever it is you want to sit at this movie. And it is a crowded theater. And you look around and every seat is taken. Not only is every seat taken, but there are people sitting in the aisles and crowded around the walls and in the back where the doors are, people are standing back there looking in. I mean, it's the biggest crowd you've ever seen at a movie. And as you're sitting there with your popcorn and your Dr. Pepper, whatever it is you enjoy at a movie, you start noticing, hey, everybody from church is here. Everyone you go to church with is at this movie. And not only that, all the people who live on your street or live down close to you on your section, wherever it is you live, they're all here. And all of the, all of the people you work with or you go to school with, they're all here. In fact, as you start looking around, you know everybody in this place. Well, that'd be weird, wouldn't it? What kind of a movie do you think we're here to watch? Tell you what we're going to watch. We are going to watch the premiere showing of your life. You're the star of this movie. This movie is going to be about you. And here in just a few moments, as soon as the credit rolls, we are going to put on this screen in living technicolor everything you have ever done. For everyone in the audience to see. What do you think about that? It make you feel pretty good? We'd all kind of like to be the star of a show a little bit, wouldn't we? And then, well, maybe not everything, right? Oh, we're going to do better than that. We're going to put 50,000 watts of Dolby stereo behind it. And we're going to pump out everything you have ever said. Every word you ever said. Stuff you said when you thought nobody else was listening. The stuff you mumbled under your breath. We're going to make it real loud and clear so everyone can hear everything you ever said. Is this getting better or is it getting worse? We're going to do even better than that though. We are going to put up on this screen every thought you have ever thought. I mean, everything you ever thought about in your entire life. We're going to put up here real clear where everyone can see what you were thinking. Now let me ask you a question. Are you going to hang around and take a bow when this movie's over? Do you think you're going to have any friends left <laughs> when this movie's over? If it's me, I'm out before the credits start rolling. I am out of here. Why? 
Well, you know why. Because you have done, said, and thought things that you're ashamed of, and you don't want anyone else in this world to know what you've done, said, or thought, haven't you? We're all in that condition. Every single one of us. Now let me tell you, this, this was an imaginary exercise because we're not at a movie. And there's no way that I can show a movie of everything you've ever done. But I want to read a verse of Scripture with you that suggested this imaginary exercise. Jesus said, Nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. I want you to look at that. Nothing is secret. What this verse means is God has that movie. God has a record of everything you've ever done. And that movie will be shown on the day of judgment. And not just everyone you know, but all your ancestors who died when you were very young are going to see it. And all the people who lived throughout the generations will see it. Because everything you do, he said, it will be made manifest. There's nothing that's secret. Now I know everyone thinks they've got secrets. We've all got skeletons in the closet, right? In fact, some of us still have meat on the bones of some of our skeletons, don't we? God knows. And God will reveal because you see, secrets aren't really secret. Now, the truth of the matter is, when we think about this and we talk about this, every one of us, if we're honest, has a pang of guilt. If we're honest, we have some shame. Because every one of us, the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all done things that are not right. And the Bible talks a lot about this particular problem that we all have. I want to show you just a few things about it. Okay, here you've got God up here and you've got man down here. And the Bible tells us that because of our sin, we have been separated from God. He says in Isaiah 59 and verse 2, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hid His face that He will not hear. You see, the things you've done that are sinful, the things that when we were talking about the movie that you wouldn't want everyone else to know you've done, or said, or thought, those things, the Bible says, they separate you from God. They put a distance between you and God. Have you ever heard anyone who was really angry with someone else say to that person, you're dead to me. Maybe you've seen it in a movie or something. Someone says, you're dead to me. What they mean is, I'll never have anything else to do with you. We're separated. As far as I'm concerned, you're gone. Well, look what the Bible says about sin. For the wages of sin is death. You see, we're separated from God by our sin. When we do things that are wrong, it's not just a, oh man, I did that again. I better do better. It, it's not like that. Sin puts a, a wedge between you and God. A separation between you and God. And it's a separation that ultimately causes spiritual death. You can't be with God anymore. He won't hear your voice. 
You know, someone cannot live however they want to live and then when they get in a jam, cry out to God and He's going to be right there to sweep them up and help them with all of their problems. The Bible is very plain about the situation that sin puts us in. You know, I just got back from Nigeria. Can you imagine being somewhere like that, a foreign country and not knowing anyone? And you get there and you get off the plane and they say, let me see your passport and give them your passport. And all of a sudden, boom, they're gone and you have no passport and you have no money and you can't talk the language and you have no phone. How would you get home? I said, well, I'd go find an American embassy. Maybe. What if there's not an American embassy? How are you going to get home? What are you going to do? You see, that's the picture that he paints here, is that we are separated from God. And what stands between us is not the Atlantic Ocean. It's something much greater than that. It's sin. And sin separates us from God. But the Bible says that God loved us even when we were sinners. You know, God doesn't look down at you and go, Oh, man, they're so cute. I just, I just got to say. That's not, that's not the reaction God has to sin. God hates sin. God despises sin. But God loved you anyway. The Bible says that sin made you God's enemy. You ever have any enemies? I can tell you one enemy you don't want, and that's God. You do not want God to be your enemy, but sin makes you an enemy of God. How do you feel about your enemies? How do you feel about the people who hate you and would want to kill you and would want to do you harm? You feel good about those people? Would you do good to those people? The Bible said God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved you when you were unlovable. God loved you when you were at your worst. He did. He never, ever, ever quit loving you. You know, those of you who are parents understand what it's like to love unconditionally, don't you? When you love your kids, don't you? I've told my kids all of their lives, there's nothing you can ever do to make daddy quit loving you. Doesn't matter what they do. I am always going to love them. Now, you can get kicked out of the house. okay? But there's nothing you can ever do to make me quit loving you. Because I just love them. They're my children. That's what I am. I'm a father and I love my children. I'm a children lover because I love my children. That's, that's just the nature of me. That's what I am. And God says He's that way about people. He loves people. He's just a people lover. You know, when, when angels sinned, you know what God did when an angel sinned? He bound him in chains and reserved him to darkness for the day of judgment, to be cast into the bottomless pit. That's what God did when angels sinned. You know what God did when people sinned? He demonstrated His love for us by sending His Son to die for us. And the Bible says the angels, in Hebrews, it says the angels long to look into these things. They just don't understand it. 
They can't imagine why God would look at people who were created lower than the angels, and when angels sinned, He cast them down to be sent to hell. But when people sinned, God came as a person, as His Son, to die on our behalf, to make us His children as part of His family, and bring us to be right with Him. You see, that's what God did for you and I. That's the love that God has for us. And there's, there's not a re- it's not because you're so lovable. It's just because that's the character of our God. He loves people. You know, my daughters, I had three daughters, and one of the things that was true of them was they loved animals. They loved little dogs and bunny rabbits. And now my son would just as soon shoot them. But my daughters... They loved them. And you know, there wasn't any kind of animal that would come through our yard that they didn't go, Oh, Daddy! And they would love an old mangy dog that run through our backyard that if they could have got to it, would have probably bit them. But they just loved it because they, they just love. That's the way God loves us. Even at our worst moment, God loves you. But you know you have had worse moments, haven't you? You've had those bad moments. And the Bible says because of those bad moments, even though God loves you, He is separated from you. Let's go ahead and look at what the Scriptures teach God did. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the relationship that we have is based on the fact That God loved. God so loved the world. I had a friend in college. uh, His name was Kevin. And this guy, I I don't know what religion he was. I don't remember now. But he had a poster in in his room on the back of his door. And it said, For God so loved Kevin that He gave His only begotten Son that Kev, you see, he put his name. Somebody did that. I always remembered that. You know what? That's true. God so loved you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and all of us. But God loved you so much that He sent His only Son. I talk about Nigeria quite a bit because I've just been there and because it's in my heart. My wife says I'd talk about it 24-7 if if, uh, I could. Uh, And she's sitting back there going, yeah. You know, I go to Nigeria. I've been there a bunch of times. You know why I go? Because I love those people. That's why I go. First time I went over there, they just just got hold of my heart. And I loved them. This time I took my son to Nigeria because I, I love those people and I wanted my son to go and I wanted him to experience that. But as much as I love those people, before I left the United States, I promised my wife that I was going to bring the cub back home. You see, as much as I love them, I didn't take my son there to give them. And if I would have thought that it would cost his life to go, he would not have gone. Because I love them, but not enough to give my son. God loved you so much. You personally that He gave His Son to die for crimes that you committed 
in, in reality, crimes that you have done that were genuinely an, an offense against God. The Bible says that Jesus Christ Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree. You know, a few years ago there was a movie came out called The Passion of the Christ. And in The Passion of the Christ, it was a pretty accurate portrayal of the things that happened with the, the betrayal and crucifixion of Jesus. And there were a lot of people that, there was a lot of press and people saying, oh, this movie's anti-Semitic because it's blaming the Jews for killing Jesus. And it's making people hate the Jews. Did you know the Jews were a part of it, but so were you and I. So was everyone else that's lived. But did you know none of us killed Jesus? Jesus said, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down. You see, Jesus chose to do that. When He was in that garden, and He knelt and He prayed, and He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but Thine be done. And He chose Remember Peter grabbed a sword and he said, put it up. Don't you think I could call for angels? My father would send them. He didn't have to die. Those Jews could not have killed him. He's the son of God. But he gave his life for you. He chose to die in your place because of those things that you don't want everyone else to know about, He chose to take the guilt of that on Himself so you don't have to bear the guilt of that and you can be right with His Father. Because you see, sin separates us from God. God will never just sweep sin under the rug. Sin has to be paid for. In fact, the word sin is actually the Greek word that means debt. It's the same word. It's a debt that we owe to God. And it's a debt we can't pay. And God is not just going to ignore it. God's not going to go, oh yeah, I know. you know, you're a good old guy. Come on in. It doesn't work like that. Sin has to be paid for. You know that. When somebody does something wrong to you, you've got that little voice in your head that says, somebody's got to pay for that. Right? Somebody's going to pay for this. When you do something that you know is wrong, you hear that same little conscience, don't you? So somebody's got to pay for this. You're not wrong. Somebody's got to pay for it. And Jesus did. Jesus showed up and Jesus paid the price for your sin. This was preached in the book of Acts chapter 2. The very first gospel sermon. He stood up and He told them that this was the thing that had been prophesied by Joel for hundreds of years before, where people would speak in different languages and they'd see visions and they'd dream dreams. He said, this is what was prophesied about. And he said, in that day, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's today, Peter said. That's happening right now. And he said, but you, you by wicked hands have taken and slain the Son of God. You killed God. For his son. And now God has raised him up, just like David prophesied, and he is sitting on the right hand of God in heaven. Now, can you imagine what it would be like to be in that crowd? I mean, these are some of these are people who were standing there yelling, crucifying. And to know that you did that? Can you imagine? 
And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What can I do? Is there anything I can do? I stood and yelled for them to kill the Son of God. What can I do? That's a pretty good question. What can I do? You know, the things that we've talked about that separated you from God, your sins, the things that make God your enemy, is there anything you can do to fix that? Is there anything you can do to change that? I mean, we know God loves you enough to send Jesus. We know Jesus came and gave Himself for us. And He loved all mankind, right? Isn't that true? He loves everyone. But everyone's not saved, are they? Is everyone saved? No, everyone's not saved. The Bible's very plain about that. Jesus said the day's going to come when the dead are going to come up out of the grave. Some are going to go to eternal life and some are going to go to eternal damnation. Everyone's not saved. So what can we do? What shall we do? You know what Peter's answer was? Peter answered them very plainly. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They said, what can we do? Peter didn't say, hey, were you not listening? I already told you. What well, he already told them. Remember, we just quoted it a minute ago. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He'd already told them that. He said, call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And they said, okay, what do we do? And he said, here's what you do. You repent and you be baptized for the remission of your sins. Remission means forgiveness. You repent and you be baptized. Well, what is repent? That'd be pretty important to know, wouldn't it? If God called me to repent, to, to be right with Him. Repent means to change your mind to the point that it changes the direction of your life. It means a change. So, if I'm going this direction and I repent of going this direction, that means I turn around and I go this direction. Now, let me show you what repentance is not. Oh man, I shouldn't be going this direction. Man, I know, boy, I, this isn't good. That's not repentance. Repentance isn't me continuing to go the way I was going and feeling bad about it and wishing I didn't and planning someday to turn around. That's not repentance. Repentance is, whoa, let's go like this. That's what repentance is. He's, you need to repent. Repent of what? Sin. You need to turn away from sin and turn toward God. You need to quit living your life the way you want to live it and live it the way God tells you to live it. You know, before I came, the elders asked me to focus this week on commitment to Christ. That's what we've been talking about all week. We've been talking about whether you want to forgive them or not. God says if you don't, He won't forgive you. So you've got to repent of not forgiving and turn around and forgive. We talked about our moral behavior and so many things. Repent means I am going to turn around and I'm going to go God's way. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. Why do we repent? In the name of Jesus Christ, we repent. We change for Jesus. We don't change for a woman 
We don't change for a political office. We don't change for some social good. We change for Jesus Christ because He came and died for the sins I committed. And I'm going to change for Him. He gave me all. And I'm going to change for Him. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. I don't know why there's so much controversy about that. The Bible's very plain. It, there's not much misunderstanding. You know, I teach in a private Christian school I've mentioned, and the question came up about baptism in my class. And I've got kids from all different denominations, all different religious groups in there. I said, you know what? Every one of you go home. Your homework is to find every verse in the New Testament that talks about baptism. And then you come back to class and we'll go over them. And they came back to class and I said, okay, you've got your list. Let's start with what Jesus said. Give me the very first verse on your list. And we read that and we put it up on the board and I said, now what does that mean? Well, he that believeth and is baptized will be saved. That means you have to believe and you have to be baptized if you want to be saved. Okay, let's go to the next verse. And we went to the next verse, and we went to the next verse, and we went to the next verse. And you know what we got while the, when we got down to the end? Those kids weren't confused. Those kids didn't misunderstand. It's not that complicated. It gets complicated when we try to introduce, well, yeah, but you know, there might be a situation where maybe you're in a foreign prison on death row and you can't be baptized, and what's God going to do, and... You know, all of those questions aside, none, we're not in a foreign prison on death row right now, okay? We're sitting here in Wheeler, Texas. You see, he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness or the remission of your sins. So you see, God loved, Jesus Christ gave, He died, and you and I repent and be baptized. Now see, in the Bible, there are some words, big theological words that talk about this. One of those big theological words is the word justification. Okay, And the idea is this, when you are baptized, the Bible says you've repented, you're a penitent believer, you believe in Christ, you will confess that, you have repented, you've turned away from sin, and you come to be baptized. The Bible says in Romans 6, you're baptized into Jesus Christ. Right? Know ye not that so many of us as we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into His death. So what happens when you're baptized, one of the things is that you are put in Jesus Christ. We're baptized into Christ. And the Bible word for that is justification. That's a great or big word. All it means is this. In the eyes of God, you're just. He describes it this way in another passage. He says, spotless and without blame. Sinless. God looks at you and He considers you spotless, sinless, without blame. If you're in His Son. Why? Because that's what Jesus is and you're in Jesus. And if you're in Jesus, you have the characteristics of Him. In the eyes of God, you're spotless and sinless and blameless. Look at the passage. Uh-oh. Do you not know as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? You see, that baptism puts us into the death of Jesus Christ. 
And now, when God looks at me, what He sees is the perfect righteousness of Jesus instead of my weak, sinful failures. That's what He says over in 2, Thessalonians, or 2 Corinthians 5. When He says, He made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You see, I become the very righteousness of God when I come to Christ. When I come to Him repenting and being baptized, I become the righteousness of God. But now, the reality is, when I look at my life, you say, okay, God looks at me and He says He's spotless and sinless and perfect, and, but I know better, right? I mean, I know better. I'm not really that way. I try to be, but I'm not really that way. I slip up and I fail. I don't do what I ought to do. And I do stuff that I know I shouldn't do. And listen, you know, I've told you before, the church is not a showcase for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And sometimes I wish our assemblies, we could be a little more like an AA meeting where I could just stand up and go, hey, I'm Michael McCorkland. I'm a sinner. I commit sin. I do stuff that's wrong. That's the reality of this world we live in. That's the struggle that we face as Christians. That I have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, but I've still got a battle to fight. I've still, in this life, and in this life, my, my body has, has got all these habits of sin. You know, somebody will come to me and say they've got a problem with, oh, say, cursing and swearing, you know, and using foul language. And I say, well, they say, you know, I tried and I just, I, I just didn't beat it. And I say, well, how long have you been doing this? Oh, I've been, you know, I've been doing this for 42 years. I say, well, it took you 42 years to get this sinful. It's going to take a little time to get this changed. It doesn't happen immediately just like that. Did you know there's a Bible word to describe that? Because not only when you become a Christian are you placed into Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ is placed into you. You're put in Jesus, but Jesus is put in you. Galatians 2 and 20, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. You see, Jesus Christ is put in me when I become a Christian. I'm put in Him and that's justification. He's put in me and that's sanctification. Now the word sanctify means made holy or set apart, separate. And the Bible talks about sanctification as a process. It's something that happens throughout the process of your life. God said, be ye holy. Why? For I am holy. We are becoming more and more like God all the time. He says in Romans chapter 8, those He did foreknow, them He did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. So what He means by that is this. He predetermined that Christians will become like His Son, Jesus Christ. That's this sanctification. That's this process of me being more and more like Jesus all the time. Now, listen, we all know it's a battle. We all know it's a struggle. And my dad's 82 years old, and I know that's a spring chicken to some of you here tonight. But there's still struggle, isn't there? I mean, I'm 56, and I've still got plenty of struggles, and I still fail. 
Sometimes I fail in brand new ways. Sometimes I fail in the same old way. You know how that is. It's a struggle, but it's a process of growing in your life and becoming more and more and more like God. And the Scriptures tell us that ultimately we will be united together with Him. And He says, thus shall we be forever with the Lord in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He talks about this. We'll ever be, and ultimately we will be united with Him together in heaven. But you see, the process of being right with God that we've talked about here is this. God loved you and gave His Son. You know, we talk about grace. And I, I think, you know, a lot of times we maybe don't talk about grace enough because we're afraid people are going to misunderstand it. We're pray, afraid people are going to think, well, grace just means you can do anything you want because God loves you. That's not what grace means. Grace means favor. It means God loves you. And I tell you, there's parts of this, your salvation you can have absolutely nothing to do with. God loved you and gave you His Son. You had nothing to do with that. He just did that. And He did it because He loves you. That's the way God is. Jesus did it because He loved us and wanted to pay that price for our sin. Jesus died... God loved you enough to give away His Son. Jesus loved you enough to die in your place. Do you know anyone you love enough to die in their place? When we were in Nigeria, my son told me that when he was with Samuel, who's our, our security guy, he said, I've never felt more safe in my life. And I said, well, that's great, son. And he said, no, 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 Dad. I know you'd take a bullet for me, but I think he'd hurt somebody first and then take a bullet for me. You know somebody you'd die enough, or you love enough that you'd die for them? There's quite a few people I love that much. Jesus loved you enough to die for you. So what's your part? Your part is you must repent and be baptized. God will not save you in rebellion to Him. God will not save you if you refuse to do the things that He's asked you to do. He will not save you if you don't want to be saved. God didn't decide before the world was formed, I'm going to save this one and send that one to hell, and it doesn't matter what they want. That's not what God decided. God sovereignly decided before the foundation of the world, I'm going to save those that accept my Son and condemn those who don't. That's what He sovereignly decided before the foundation of the world. And that has nothing to do with us. That has to do with the sovereign decision of God. But what does have to do with us is this right here. You need to repent and be baptized. Now, I, I just want to be honest with you tonight because as a preacher, it's my job to encourage people and build people up and motivate people. And it's also my job to tell you the truth. And the truth is, if you've not repented and been baptized, you're not right with God. That's just the truth. Do you need to do that? Let me show you some people in the book of Acts. It says, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. You see, when pre Peter stood up and preached that sermon, and he said, call on the name of the Lord, and they said, what do we do? He said, you need to repent and be baptized. There were 3,000 people 
who gladly received that message. They said, yeah, there is something I can do. I mean, I am not condemned. I don't have to die for my sin. God saved me. Do you remember when you first realized that you were really a sinner and God was really condemning you for your sin? Do you remember that? And they realized they were condemned and then they realized God loved them and they could be saved. And those that gladly received His Word were baptized that very day. They didn't put it on till, off till next week or the week after or wait till my cousins can be here or any of that. They took care of it right then, right there. You know why? Because they were rejoicing. They were excited. They were happy. And they didn't want to miss this. Repent and be baptized. The Bible says, they that gladly received His Word were baptized. What about you? Do you gladly receive this message we've talked about tonight? Now I know when we started, we were talking about sitting in that movie theater and everybody knowing everything we've done. I think we've established that you, don't, you got no secrets. They're all going to come out. Nobody has any secrets. The only thing we can do is deal with those secrets. Or turn away and think, I'll take care of this later. I'll do it some other time. I'll do it, maybe I'll think, don't do that. Be like these people. Gladly receive the Word of God. Repent of your sins. And be baptized. Turn your life over to Him. Turn to Jesus. We sing a song about that. Come to Jesus, He will save you, right? That's what this is about. It's not about you saving yourself. It's about you coming to the one who will save you. The one who died to save you. Are you right with God tonight? Have you repented? Have you been baptized? Do you believe Jesus is God's son? Are you willing to say that publicly in front of other people? If you've done that, God bless you. You are on a journey of a lifetime. A journey to eternity. If you haven't, I just want to encourage you tonight... Tonight, you can go home and when you lay your head on your pillow, you can know that you know that you know that when you face God, your eyeball to eyeball with the Creator of this universe, Jesus is going to look at you and say, Welcome. Come in. What a glorious thing to be a part of the family of God.